I also want to say thank you to you. A couple weeks ago, you honored us uh, on pastoral staff. And on their behalf, I want to tell you thank you. I know the economy is pretty sour right now for so many, and yet your generosity just just bowled us over. And we just thank you for your expressions, your cards, your words, your prayers. It's just a joy to, to serve here. Somebody this morning who's from Erie, uh, as we were talking about how chilly it was this morning, and they knew that I, Pam and I had lived in Oregon near uh, mountains and streams. And they said, why did you ever move here? And I said, well, really, it's not the weather, but the people are incredible. And the people are just wonderful. And so thank you for allowing all of us to serve you and for your generosity. We love you. Thank you so much for your gifts. I was going through uh, some pictures I had, I had archived and ran across one picture that is going to make you go, ah. In fact, just say, ah. We do this once in a while. So let me show you the picture. Can you see that? That's tribal. Let's go in tribal. That's what we've been talking about. It, it simply is this, that if we hang on to each other, we have this opportunity to connect in right relationships. And as we say here quite a bit, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of right relationships. So if you had, were not here last week, well, I'm going to encourage you to go back to the beginning of this, this series we're dealing with in the company of friends and download it or or listen to the podcast because it will help you connect with what we're going to be saying in these next few weeks together. Now, one of the things I stated last week is this, that when you come into a relationship with Jesus, the establishment of of a new value system may put you in conflict with those that have been part of your tribe, the connectedness you've had in the past. And so when you come to this place where your value system conflicts with those you've been with in the past and and what you want to do, the actions conflict with their actions, what do you do? Do you dump your friends? And I said, no, you don't dump your friends. You actually become a better friend. What do you do with a family that that just now is incensed at, at, at how you are and the way that you've changed because of your relationship with Jesus? Do you dump your family? I said, no, you actually begin to love your family in a better manner. Which then left a lot of you hanging. Some of you said, well, you're not helping me here. That's a broad brushstroke. How do I deal with with people then who are now living lifestyles and, and working out actions in their lives that run contrary to what I think that Jesus wants me to live now that I belong to him? So, so what do I do? So, so, so by what you've said, connecting with them and staying connected in a, in a tribe, then, then I can go to the party next weekend. I can hang out at the Plymouth with them. Can, can I, at, at prom night, when everybody's gathering in the hotels and it's unchaperoned, can I go ahead and, and just go and hang out because they're my friends? And some of you may be thinking, so when I go on the business trip and we're with, with those friends and, and we're, we're connected together and, and we've eaten and they head over and they're going to stop at a gentleman's club, should I just hang out with them and, because they're my friends? And if I don't hang out with them, they'll think something's weird. Where, what do I do with this? How do I respond now to my tribe if the value systems are not quite lined up as they once were? What do I do with my friends? What do I do with family? A guy was walking down the street and he was passing a home for the totally insane. And and as he walks by, the, the place is fenced in with a really high wooden fence to keep them from wandering out. And evidently, all the residents are in the backyard because as the guy's walking toward the backyard, outside of the fence, he hears them yelling, 13, 13, 13, 
13, 13, 13. And they're having fun. They're laughing. 13, 13, 13. In fact, just say it with me. 13, 13, 13. Come on, act insane. 13, 13. There we go. That's, there we go. That's. So, so as he's walking, the noise is growing and there seems to be this buildup of 13 and, and now his curiosity has just peaked. He says, I gotta figure out what these people are doing. So he can't see over the fence and he can't see under the fence. He doesn't know what he's gonna do, but he just wants to know why these people are so excited. 13, 13. So finally, as he walks by, there's one board that has a small knot hole in it he can see through. And so he quickly runs up and puts his eye in, into that knot hole. And a finger comes through and pokes him in the eye. And the people start yelling, 14, 14, 14. So when we talk about tribal, the question is, how do we hold on to our, our sanity and not get hurt in the process? I want to take us back to Paul's letter to his friends in Rome and at the very end of that letter that is so rich of understanding of theology and life and the world we live in. He climaxes it and ends it, the finale, with a description of his tribal connections, that this is so vitally important to him. And in doing so, as we, as we dig into it, we can discover how we are to live in a tribal connection. So I'd like you to turn there. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 16. You can use the, the outline that you have. There's a Bible in the rack in front of you. And we're, we're going to spend some weeks in Romans 16. So you may want to go there even write notes in, in the margin of your Bible if you like. Romans 16, verse 3. This is the, the second person that he introduces us to, a second set of people he introduces us to in this process. And he says this, Greet Priscilla and Aquila. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. The background on this is that Paul the Apostle had gone to Corinth. Now, you need to understand Corinth. Corinth was so incredibly immoral and so totally demonized that even Paul the Apostle was afraid. It freaked him out. In fact, he tried to hide to get him moving into what God had called him to do a vision comes to him and God speaks to him and says, I don't want you to just freeze and stay here. I need you to go out and proclaim who I am to this community. I will protect you. In fact, it'll be okay because I have people in the city that I will bring to you. He said, I have a tribe that you will become part of. Aquila and Priscilla were the first ones of that tribe. And when they connected, they connected with others in such an intense and wonderful degree that the relationship was so molded together that they were willing to die for each other if they had to. So how do you get that kind of connectedness? I think what Paul's going to show us here is that we need to shift our tribal center. Now, we talked about what a tribe is last week, and a tribe simply is, is a group of people coming together who have a shared system of values and a common care and protection of those people. Shared values and a common protection and care. I'll show you what I mean. How many of you in here are Browns fans? <laughs> I'm going to cause a riot this morning. Hey, Dave Fernandez, come over here. Dave is a Browns fan. Here, put that on. Come on over here. 
Where's Waldo? Right here. <laughs> All right, now listen. Where, let me see your Browns fans. Put your hands up. Okay, see, this is a tribe right here. Shared values. Brownism. There's the, the values. Shared values and a, a common care and protection of each other because with the record you've had, you need to protect each other and care for each other. It's been lonely, hasn't it? Oh, it's been horrible. Now, we said the tribes also come together because they have a shared history. Who are some of the great players for the Browns? Uh, Frank Ryan, Jimmy Brown, Ernie Green, Leroy Kelly. See, see there's the history. And, and you people that are Browns fans, yeah, we know that. that. We have the shared history. And you have shared experiences. You, you, you talk about the games. You talk about, about the, the one last year when, when the Browns played the Giants and Eli Manning and beat them. There was, I was at that game, and there was this intensity. The Browns fans were going crazy. The dog pound was ready to chew on somebody. It was phenomenal. You have this tribe. Paul said, these two, Aquila and Priscilla, are co-workers with me. It means simply this, two words. We have been unioned together, a unity, a unionizing together in a common effort, a common goal, a common direction, shared values. We are moving that direction. Now, you're going to hate me for this. Oh, no. Oh, no. What if, what if somehow, somehow Dave got converted to become a Steelers fan? <laughs> Take that off. Oh, you, 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 got, you got to put this on. Come here. I know. It's with great protest, Your Honor. I'm, I'm, I'm going to consider him a hostile witness. Here we go. All right, now. Oh, no, wait, 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 wait. There, that's even better. Is it flashing? Oh, it is. It's flashing. That's great. Okay, now. I, I know. <laughs> Now, here's the deal. Stay with me on this. If he became a Steelers fan, suddenly he now has a different values base. He has, he, he, <laughs> he has a different values base. He, he, has, he has different actions. Now, here's the problem. What if he becomes a Steelers fan, but he wants to stay connected to his Browns fans, but now he has a conflict in values, especially in October 18th of this next year when they play each other? There is this conflict of values. What's he going to do with that? How is he going to act? How can he be this and still reach out and connect with those people? Here's what happened. Paul said Aquila and Priscilla are co-workers in Christ Jesus. The word in means a locked fixed position. Uh, my entire value system now has been locked in Jesus. What I was before, I no longer am because I had a new value base. Therefore, everything that I think is based upon what Jesus thinks and everything that I'm going to do in the future is Jesus approved in conflict to what I had been before. Now we have a problem because I want to connect with people who do not have the same value base. And because my actions must line up with Jesus. How do I stay connected? How can he be Steelers and, and, and Browns at the same time? I mean, he could, he could simply just say, hey, I'm totally converted to, to, to the Steelers, and we won a Super Bowl, and you haven't, losers. I mean, you can do that. 
Or he can take that off and just become neutral. Uh, you know, I've got friends in both sides. I can't do anything. Or he can wear the Browns hat but really be a Steelers fan and just be incognito. Or he can try wearing both hats at the same time. What do we do? When we have this relationship with Jesus and we are in a tribal connection with people who do not have the same value base, we can either say, hey, I got Jesus, you don't, you're going to hell, loser. Or we can take it off and just be neutral and say, you know, I can't commit to either way because I just, you know, because Jesus is love and, and love loves everybody. Or you can act like you don't know Jesus, but really you do know Jesus. But to stay connected to those friends, they'll never know until you get one moment where you can pop out and go, Jesus, and back in again. <laughs> or you can wear both hats, which gets both sides angry at you. Thanks, Dave. So how do you deal with it? It's, it's a real problem. How do you live a value system of Jesus, Jesus-approved activities, but stay connected in a tribal connection with those who don't necessarily have the same value base? Jesus deals with that, and I want you to see it. Matthew, the fifth chapter, the 13th verse. Let me tell you why you are here, Jesus said. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. So what flavor is salt? What's salt taste like? Salt, but what can you describe? You people just have such a wonderful vocabulary. Salt, salt, seawater. What, what, bitter? It's just, it's just got that, that salty taste. So, so if it's, do you like that taste? Would you take a teaspoon of it? So why do you put it on your food? It brings out the flavor. It is not the salt that you want to taste. It is the salt that brings out the flavor that already exists. Jesus said, what I want you to realize you're doing is that you are revealing the God flavor. Paul says, greet Aquila and Priscilla because, and that greeting means give them good direction and good understanding and good resources because these people have been a God flavor to all these Gentiles. So they've established these tribes because of what they have done. He said, God is the flavor. Our relationships with everybody brings out the taste. Are you with me? God is the flavor and your relationship when you deal with anybody should bring out the taste of God's existence. Therefore, we've got to be tasteful. So, which do you prefer? A mouthful of salt or food tastefully salted? I think the answer is clear. But we have this tendency when we come to Jesus to think that Jesus is all salt, and so we attack with salt. I have a friend, Pam and I have some friends in Oregon who used to go down to the gay parade in downtown Portland and scream at all the people walking by yelling, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. Too much salt. Some of you people 
came to know Jesus out of some really bad lifestyles, and you got so excited, you went back to all your old friends and your family and said, you better change or you're going to hell. You, and you, you started after them and bugging them, and you irritated them. Because what does salt do to a wound? Too much salt. How many would agree that embezzlement is a sin? Yeah. How many would you agree that murder is a sin? How many would agree that selling your body for sex is a sin? Those are the people that Jesus met at the parties he went to. We know that. We've we've looked at it. And when Jesus showed up, he did not walk in and say, Here, taste the salt of judgment. Wash this in your mouth for a while. Now, if Jesus is only approaching us in the way the Father wants us to know him, and Jesus shows up at those places where it's obvious that these people are people who are sinners, and he shows up and he doesn't come with judgment, but instead he says, here's some mercy, taste God, then what is Jesus telling us? And what is God telling us? God can use whatever means he wants to reveal himself to us, and this is the means he uses. He doesn't take them on a cold night and hold their hands over a campfire and say, oh, you think that's hot? Wait till hell shows up, dude. Instead, he says this, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me, meaning if I die for you and show you my mercy, that will attract you to me. What Jesus did is he walked into worlds that were not totally Jesus-focused or God-focused. He walks into that place, and he brings God's mercy, and in doing so begins to reveal the flavor of God right there, even in the place of sin. Our job, our responsibility, is to be salt. It means to be whatever relationship we're in, whether they know Jesus or not, whether they have a faith in God or not, is to see where God is in their world and say, Oh, look, there's God. Taste that. I don't have to fabricate it. I don't have to walk up and say, here's four spiritual laws, understand these laws, or you're going to go to hell. I can walk up and say, have you recognized what God's doing in your life right here? I think it's just great. Sometimes I'll meet with people and I'll be just talking to them as friends, and, and they'll say something about, about their family, and I'll go, do you understand that you have this wonderful wisdom that only God could give you on dealing with your child right there? And suddenly there's a God awareness. Oh, maybe God's doing that. I love sometimes to be with people and I'll just say, before I go, could I pray a blessing on you? Well, yeah, you're a priest, do that. No, no, anybody can pray a blessing. And, and I pray a blessing on them. I'll look, I'll look at somebody in a governmental position and I'll say to them, do you know that God puts you there and that I pray for you and that you have this thing called an anointing from God, that you are there with a special gifting at a special season and that he wants you to do his will and he loves you that much that he puts you there and he's going to walk you through this thing? You look in somebody's life and you find the God who's there and say, taste that. Now, the key to that is important, and the key is this. If you're sitting down and and you're getting a a nice baked potato and you you want to put salt on that to draw, draw out the flavor, if I hand you one granule of salt, will that do it? See, we get this idea that we're doing this all by ourselves. There's got to be the right amount of people, the right amount of salt that touches that situation. Salt is only powerful to the extent that it's corporate. 
See, Jesus concludes his discussion about us being salt and us being light with these words, Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And it's, it's plural, you. You folks are focused in one place, and because of you pointing out who God is in people's lives together, and they see the good things that God does, it draws them to him. Bob was dying of cancer, and his daughter had this tribe of people who were followers of Jesus. And so she drew Bob into that tribe as he's dealing with cancer. They would gather with Bob, who's a crusty old guy, who led a really rough lifestyle and didn't really care a whole lot about God, it didn't really matter to him. They gather around him, and they, and they start loving him. They start taking care of him. They mow his yard. They take care of his house. They do whatever's necessary because he's just, he's weak. They sit with him as he rants against this disease and against God who had allowed the disease. And they just listen. And then he asks them questions about their faith. How do they put their faith? And so they talk about it. And then they play games together and they, and they watch television together. And they just, they are there. And, and, and they're pointing out God in the process. Bob died of cancer. But not before he said, I think I understand what you're saying, and I want to put my faith in this God. It took more than just one person. It took a bunch of people who were salt in that situation and brought the mercy of God. You say, but whoa, 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 time out. You say he was crusty and he had a lot of problems and faults. Well, don't you think if you don't deal with that, those sins in their lives, in his life, that, that it's like condoning it? See, we've got to make this authentic. And authenticity of taste comes at times by refusal of a value or action. Let me say it again. The authentic taste comes by refusal of a value or an action. So let me make it practical. If you are invited to an underage drinking party, you can't show up there because it's against the law. And because it's against the law, if you go, you give the wrong taste. You're with your, the guys, the sales guys, and you're out at a convention, and then they decide after dinner they want to go by the gentleman's club. You've got to get a taxi and go back to the hotel by yourself because you are breaking a moral law. And if you don't, if you do go with them, then you have just broken a moral law and you've given the wrong taste. So you get invited to go to, to the hotel after prom, and, it's, and you know it's, there's going to be sex, and you know there's going to be booze, and you know there's going to be no adults, but they're, they're your friends or your buds. But, see, you still can't go because you give the wrong taste. My daughter Christy came home. Pam's my daughter Christy came home with, with a, um, a chocolate bar from Geneva, three chocolate bars from Geneva, great chocolate. And the first one, we, it was so good, we took little pieces every day and, and just savored it. And just smudged it on our teeth and smiled. It was, it was, and just, just tasted the chocolate. Really, really good chocolate. The second bar, which was interesting, was a, and I don't remember the exact name, kind of a chocolate chili thing. And I thought, well, what is this? So we broke it off, and I took a bite, and there was that sweet chocolate taste. And then there was this intense burn right here. Now, I don't know what got into those people, but they mixed chilies with chocolate. My mouth was going, this is so good. My stomach was going, are you an idiot? Put this away. It was a conflict of tastes. 
So I asked Pam, because it was about on the counter for a while. I said, Pam, where's that chocolate bar I want to show the congregation? She said, oh, I threw that out long ago. Jesus said, if you don't give the right taste, then you're no good. You'll have to be thrown out. See, what we do when we say, I'm a follower of Jesus, here, taste this, and then we turn around and we give a wrong taste, we're, we've got this confliction going on here. We've got this, this, this taste that, that just doesn't seem to be right. And Jesus said, you, you've got to give the right taste. You've got to show who he is. That's why he said, I want you to do this together, because when you stand up for those things, you can't be alone. So, so you can't go to the prom deal. Then you've got to have a group of people who don't go to, who hang out with you and say, but we're going to still celebrate. You've got, to, you've got to be able to go back in that taxi to the hotel and give a call to a friend back here at home and say, hey, the guys are at Gentleman's Club and I just need somebody to talk to because I'm all alone right now and, and I just want to let you know I did this and I'm, just, I'm accountable. And you've got to have that accountability. You've got to do this together because salt comes together. It'll also do this. It'll give a clarity. It'll bring out the God colors. So Peggy has a friend named Terry. Terry is married to Dan. Dan is highly intellectual. He's an educator, and he's an agnostic, and he's an old hippie. And he lives in Oregon where old hippies live. And so... Terry, his wife, has, has come into a relationship with Jesus, and she has this tribe of people who also have a relationship with Jesus, and, and Dan's part of the tribe, although he's incredibly agnostic. And so Dan comes every once in a while to the church service, and he sits there and listens, but to him, he knows everything bad about churches. And, and you know, honestly, we have a horrible reputation in the United States, most of our churches, because we're all clumped up lumped together as one as people who just want money or, or people who say one thing and, and do another. We, we declare we're, we're against, we're, we want a, a pure marriage act and then we go have an affair and just know it's just, it's just a mess. So he knows all those reasons, so he doesn't really trust this gathering. But he does hang out with us in our social settings and what he doesn't understand outside these walls, we're still the church. It's just a different setting. And so he watches Peggy who has one of the most compassionate heart for people who hurt, and he watches her. For years, he watches her as she deals with people and loves them. And he likes that because that's kind of the way he is. It's built in him. He watches Dean, who is a very, very good attorney in Portland, who has a wonderful belief structure that he has thought through well. He's a highly intellectual guy, and Dan relates to that. And, and, and Dean just doesn't accept things because they always have been. He works them through and figures them out. And even has to prove that the Bible is real. And he walks all the way through that. just highly intellectual. And then he watches as Dean not only has this wonderful, wonderful law firm going, but Dean also on Fridays goes down into downtown Portland and hands out blankets to, to people who are homeless. He watches that. He watches Dave. Dave is just this guy who's a great friend. Dave just loves to be with people, and he's incredibly generous. Dave just gives things away. Dave just loves He just loves hanging out with people. And when you're with Dave, you just feel like you're his best friend. And then there's Terry, his wife, who he watches, who, because of her belief structure, he, he gives her a hard time to see how she's going to respond, and yet she continues to persist that she loves him and will never give up on him, even though he can become incredibly evil at times. 
And about 10 to 15 years into this process, one day he just says, you know, I've been thinking and I'm putting my faith in Jesus. No just as I am, no church service, no sermon, but just a tribe who hung out with Dan. True community is modeled only in the company of friends. So here's what happened. Terry by himself, herself could not convince him, and, and Dave by himself could not convince him, and Dean by himself could not convince him, and Peggy could not. But you take all of those together in one beautiful mosaic, and suddenly you have the colors of God and the pictures of God, and you say, up oh, there he is, together. That's what Jesus meant when he went on teaching on that Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 14. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make your light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've, I've put you there on a hilltop on a, light, on a light stand, then shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Be opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. So when I was growing up in church, we used to sing this song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. You catch the theme there? And then we have this one. Don't let Satan get out. I'm going to let him shine. Okay, great song. A little bit theologically correct, but really bad theology. Because when he said, you are a light, he wasn't talking to an individual. He was talking to a group. I can fly over Kansas at night and look down and I can see one light of a farmhouse and I can see another light of a farmhouse, which I think is a farmhouse, and they'll be spread apart by miles and just a little bit of lights. But if I fly over Kansas City at night, you can't miss Kansas City. Why? All the lights are collected together. He said, I want you to be tribes together that you give out light. That's why Paul says, as he's talking about Aquila and Priscilla, Romans 16, verse 5, greet also the church that meets at their house, the tribe, and also greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Now catch this. Epinetus, one light, first person in Asia to come into a relationship with Jesus, nice thing. The church that meets is a tribe, better light. And later on, he's going to say, but in Rome, there are still other tribes. And you put all those tribes together and you get this bright light that will transform a city. Get this, please, in your heads and in your heart. We cannot do this alone. It is not my little light. It is all of us together doing what we need to be doing as salt and light. And that transforms. The word transform comes from two words. It means a cross and a shape. It means to change to come across and to change the shape and the form of something that you don't like the way it is. You transform it. What do you see around you that needs transformation? What, what is it you, you don't like? In recent years, many of those who have studied cities and regions have come to the conclusion that there are seven 
spheres of influence that shape a community. And I listed those for you. Education, arts, family, business, government, media, and church. Whoever is influencing those influencers then helps shape the community. Jesus said, I want tribes in each one of those spheres of influence. And your tribes are going to shape those arts. Your tribes are going to shape the education. Your tribes are going to shape the government. Your tribes are going to shape the church. Your tribes are going to shape the media. I need for you to move into those places where you have connections. And together, you just find where God's flavor is and said, look, God's right here. And together, that light shines and says, it needs to change. It needs to be transformed. You don't walk into those and say, oh, the media's going to hell. What's wrong with those people? Only Fox News loves Jesus. I mean, you can't do that. Keith Overman's going to hell. You can't do that. You've got to walk in and you've got to say, here's where God is. And let's begin to change the media. Let's begin to change the athletics. Let's begin to change whatever it is that's influencing the community. And he said, you are the lights to do that. And it takes more than you just sitting in a place, praying over that. You've got to go in and influence it. You've got to become friends there. You've got to enlarge your tribe, even though at times it conflicts with your value system. And don't go in as a big pillar of salt. You go in and say, here, let me just season this for you and show you where God is right in the middle of all this stuff. You say, will that really work? Five years ago, 35% of Uganda was HIV positive and dying. Over a third. United Nations was pouring in resources and education and, and experts, and it wasn't changing a thing. Part of the problem was that the governmental presence that was shaping the country was evil under the control of Idi Amin. Idi Amin was voodoo-oriented. That was his base and demonized in his actions. The church was being persecuted. Those who call themselves Christians are being persecuted along with anybody else he thought was against him. And he became paranoid, and people were disappearing left and right and dying. And he was building his own kingdom. So the, the churches, the tribes, in the sense of those who were followers of Jesus, began in the villages and in the churches and in the cities, began to pray for the overthrow or the removal of Idi Amin, and eventually it took place. But still, the AIDS epidemic continued. Now watch. The president of the country, the new president, calls together the influencers of the church sphere. The believers in Jesus, the pastors come to him and he says, now I've watched Idi Amin, I've seen what he's done, I know his religion and nothing is working there, but I've watched yours and I see some light there, so here's what I'm going to do. And he hands to them the flag of Uganda and says, you now control the country. What would Jesus do to stop AIDS? So the guys go, well, well, give us some time to pray. And so they go off and they pray. Say, God, you told us that we're going to teach nations. Now, how does that happen? How do we disciple a nation? What are we going to do with this? They pray and they come back to the president and they said, God has given us three steps we must take. The first step is this, and it's called the ABCs. A, 
abstinence. We're going to tell everybody in the country that you should only have sex with the person you're married to. B, be faithful to the person you're married to. So abstinence until you get married, and B, be faithful to the person you're married to, and C, if you can't do either one of those two, then, then contraception and condoms. The president says, sounds like a plan. Go do it. They say, no, 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 no. We don't have the influence to do that. We need to get to the sphere of the families, and to do that, we need to go through the sphere of the media and the education. We've got to work through those. And the president says, you have my full authority to work in those places. So they begin an educational process, and they, and they begin to work through the media, and they start giving them the ABCs. Abstinence. No sex until you're married. B, be faithful. C, if you're going to do it, use condoms. Contraception. In three years, the HIV rate went from 35% to 5%. I mean, you look it up. Go Google it. You'll find it. Maybe off a percentage or two of who you listen to. But, but what happened is, that the influencers in the sphere of, of education and media and family and church all began to be influenced by one thing. So the president says, oh, that's a good deal. He calls them back in. He says, our economy is a wreck. What does Jesus say about economy? So they go back and pray. And God takes them to well, in fact, they say to the president, well, what seems to be the problem with the economy? He says, we got crooked politicians. We can't trust anybody. We got two or three hundred people that are just thieves. So they go, they pray. God takes them to Acts, the sixth chapter, where they select seven men that are trustworthy and have wisdom to run the economy of the new church. So they go back to the president and they say, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go find 200 good business people. These 200 business people will have, will, will be people who are connected to God. Now catch this, who tithe because the tithe declares who is lordship of the economy and who have good connections with the pastors. They're trustworthy. He said, do it. So they went in and they fired in the government, they fired the two to three hundred, got rid of them, replaced them with the two hundred. Quickly, the economy began to grow. And today, if you go into any bank in Uganda, you will hear Christian music playing. And they don't know why it's playing, most of them. They just think that it's like this anointing thing over the money, and it makes the money better. See, that's what happens when you have tribes who enter into spheres of influence that shape a community. And they walk in and they say, oh, here, taste God's flavor right here. And, and they show up and they go, oh, here, here, with how we live and what we do, watch, you'll see a picture of Jesus. Here's who Jesus is. And they go, oh, that's great. I like that. So I have a question for you today. Who's in your tribe? And who are you influencing? Do you think Jesus left you here on the earth so that you can just wait for him? You can go to studies on the second coming and just wait? 
You're here to, to, to have tribes. And he said, you're here to find the flavor of God in a world that is so corrupt. And you are here to be tribes to show by your life, here's the light of God. And, and you are to change and to influence. So I'm asking you, who are you influencing? Where's your connection in education and in media and in government and all those things we talked about this morning? Where is your connection? Because you as tribes should be saying, I'm going to enter into the arts and I'm going to change the arts. How are we going to do that? We're not going to just hold little dance sessions for Christians over here, but we're going to walk into the arts and become part of the arts and we're going to love those people and stay very centrally focused on on the values of Jesus, but at the same time, we're going to show the flavor of God and love people and not just kill them with salt. That makes sense? That's what God's calling us to do. It's time for transformation. To do that, then we've got to be these tribes. We've got to be connected. We've got to stick together. Here's God's flavor. And by our lives together, here's the light of God. You can see his color. Now, to do that, one other thing and one other warning. You need to know that you have the authority to do this. Jesus said, I'm giving you my authority so you can walk into the arts and you can walk into education. I mean, you can walk into your school and gather some people that love Jesus and figure out what you need to do in that school, not offensively and not and, and, and not become someone that people just don't even want to be around, but instead the love of Jesus. Because Jesus just loved people, become friends and begin to influence that school. Begin to influence that government, whatever, wherever you are, where you have your connection. Begin to draw together and come up with a strategy on what you're going to do to just bring Jesus' love there. If you want to know how a Jesus tribe functions, let me just give it to you succinctly. Jesus is the center. Friendship is the outer edge. And prayer is the lubricant that makes it all go. You do that, and you'll change the world. Would you stand? So I've given you a teaching this morning. And did I mention to you that when you hear from the Word of God, you're not responsible to do it? Did I mention that part? So this week, I just want you to figure out who's your tribe and what, what, who are you affecting? And become strategic about it. See, the church the church got so narrow in its scope, it said that all the ministries take place in the church building. And so you need to usher, you need to sing, you need to do... No, 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 no. All the ministries do not happen within this structure. It just helps facilitate us getting together. But your ministry is to be in your tribe and to change the world and shape and transform this community. That's your deal. And you can do a good job because you're already doing it. So I'm going to pray a blessing over you and get you on your way. But before we do that, I'm going to ask our elders and their spouses. We're going to have some prayer for you that need prayer. So you just come on down here, if you will. Come on down and get set to pray for folks. Rick, can you come to the piano? We want to make you aware that we're here to pray for you, whatever your needs are. That's it. We need some shuffle down that way. That would be great. That's good. And so in our tribes that gather here, we're, we're family, we're community, and I'm concerned about some of you that are dealing with physical and emotional issues that are just long-term. And one of the things we want to do is have healthy tribes. Art Pierce, where are you, buddy? Are you still here? Get down here. Art's been dealing with, with some illness that they're still having trouble figuring it out. It's debilitating him, and just he's just withering away, buddy, and... 
and we keep believing that Jesus is going to heal you. And so we as a body, one of the folks here came during service and said, I really feel like God wants us to pray for Art specifically this morning. And so we want to do that. And then anybody else that wants prayer, you come forward. Bring your tribe with you. Say, I don't have one. Then recruit some on the way down. They'll come with you. But I'm going to ask for, for, Jason, you have oil? You that are part of this tribe, you know these folks. You love them. Get over here. Come on. Tribe, surround them. Come on. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. Get down here. That's it. There you go. So we're going to pray for Art, then I'm going to give you a blessing, and then we're going to keep this place open for you. If you'd like to have prayer, we're going to get you covered. So, Father, for Art right now, we've anointed him. We don't understand why it's taken so long, but we ask you that today's the day. You said if, if the tribe would get together and they would agree together on any one thing, it shall be done. And you would be, we already heard today, Jenny told us that you, you'd be ready to answer now. So now, answer. Bring healing to this body. Reveal the issues and you take care of the issues. Give him strength and mobility and rest and take away the pain in his joints. We ask you for healing in his body right now. And for those who are going to come in just a moment, we pray that you'll meet their need too. And now to this congregation, may you discover the authority that God has given you to not cower in fear, but move ahead in authority. May you find the people close to you and become tribal. And may you discover the place God has put you that you will influence and you will change a city and thus a state and, and maybe even a nation or just a school or a neighborhood or a work cubicle. But you've called us, Father, and for these folks, may they now discover that authority and go in confidence. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. You have a great day.